0: So the text is Matthew ten sixteen to 26. I'll read that now. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house, Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to bless this, the reading of your word, and the hearing of it, we pray, in the message ahead. In Christ's name, amen.
1: I was reading some old news account of uh, some battles that were going on in Sri Lanka. That's a little country, and Asia, and there's an incredibly repressed minority there called the Tamil population. Well, in this uh, one battle, uh, there was a captured gorilla that the soldiers were overwhelming, and this one was a very famous woman. They wanted to capture her alive. Uh, She was a a doctor previously, and uh, anyway, she was struggling to get the cyanide pill out of her necklace because every Tom Mill tiger carried cyanide pills with them so that when they're tortured by the, um, the government soldiers that uh, they wouldn't be giving away any secrets of the, the guerrilla army. Well, she didn't manage to swallow it. Uh, they managed to get the, the pill away from her, took her off to jail. And uh, in jail, you know, there's incredible abuse that these guys uh, suffer. But this, uh, this woman everybody recognized, was absolutely devoted to a single cause, and that was to gain homeland rule autonomy for the Tamil people from the Sri Lankan uh, government. Well, after her capture, there was a Sri Lankan government official that uh, came to visit her because she was so famous, and he was just blown away that here she is in jail, totally, totally committed uh, to this cause. And one of the eyewitnesses who was there at this meeting Uh, wrote down some stuff, and he said this, she didn't beg him for her life. She didn't offer valuable secret information to save her skin. Fully aware of her impending execution, she appealed to him, please help our cause. When we are in power, we will remember you. Now, think about that statement. She's the one that's in jail. She's the one that's uh, going to be executed uh, any day now, and yet... Uh, She is appealing to him to look out for his future safety, encouraging him to be thinking about uh, his future comfort uh, because her cause was going to win. And I think about our evangelistic message that we uh, bring because there's many countries around the world where Christians are a tiny minority, they're a persecuted minority, and yet we're giving a similar message, aren't we? Uh, We're pleading with people to watch out for their future security and to escape from a future judgment uh, in hell. And it may seem strange to people because here we are, apparently powerless, and that's the status of a sheep among wolves, isn't it? Uh, The report goes on and says, when he asked her why she joined the liberation movement, she gave him the following explanation. She said, I was in my late 20s, well-educated, working as a medical doctor, then one day my whole life was changed when my parents were killed by soldiers. This was the snapping point for her where she decided she was, she was not going to tolerate this anymore. She was going to join the guerrilla movement. I left my prof- profession and everything I knew and subjected myself to vigorous training to become a freedom fighter. And when I read that statement, I thought, well, here's a, here's a person who has what it takes to win battles. Uh, She didn't have what it takes to win spiritual battles. I don't think that she was a uh, a believer, but from a physical perspective, she was convinced of all four points that you see uh, in your outline there. She knew the cost of being a Tamil tiger, and she embraced it fully. She had a vision of victory that drove her on. Uh, She had learned how to conquer her fears, and to her, all of the sacrifices that she was making were well worth uh, what she was fighting for. And without those four issues settled in your minds, it's very, very difficult for people to uh, win a battle, uh, let alone sign up for it. They may sign up for a battle uh, maybe half-heartedly and a little bit timidly. And I think of a lot of Christians being in that kind of a situation. They're not like uh, the hero of Braveheart. They're more like the nobles, the Scottish nobles in the, the movie Braveheart who, uh, yeah, they'd fight on occasion, but they were more likely to compromise in order to get uh, their way. Uh, now, in the last message I gave from Matthew chapter 10, we saw that uh, the most encouraging part of evangelism is that by far the bulk of those who come to Christ come from their oikos. Uh, the oikos, we saw, is not just your, your immediate uh, family household, but it also includes uh, those who are your business associates, uh, your extended relatives, even close neighbors that you like, And uh, so the the bulk of those who come to Christ always say it's because of the influence of those who are in that oikos. But this chapter does not just talk about oikos evangelism. We saw that was a very encouraging uh, part of the evangelistic message. But Christ calls us to reach out to those who are outside of our oikos. In other words, those who hate us or at least maybe don't like us or at least uh, do not know us. And every one of us is going to be given and already has been given opportunities by God to be a witness to those who are outside of our oikos, a witness to wolves, as it were. Sometimes we take the opportunities. Sometimes we don't take those opportunities. But Christ is calling us to be willing to give the answer of Christ uh, to strangers. And that terrifies a lot of people. It's one of the reasons why we're having this evangelism training class on uh, Tuesday evenings. Now, in the next two messages, we're going to be addressing some of those uh, fears that are out there. But for today, I want to encourage you to not make excuses for shutting your mouth when you're around strangers, Uh, to not make excuses I can't witness, uh, but to stir yourselves up and to embrace uh, these four points just like that Tamil woman did. First of all, we're only going to look at two points today. First of all, you need to know the cost of being a Christian witness And you need to embrace it. You need to embrace that cost with all of your heart. Every Christian is a soldier. And by definition, if you're a soldier, there are going to be times where you're going to be put in dangerous way. And so if you were living right now in North Korea, it would almost be suicidal to be a Christian, Uh, especially to be a witness. Open your yapper about being a Christian. And they count their lives, uh, length, the Christian lives, in months, not in years. There's so many martyrdoms that go on uh, in North Korea. In uh, China, it's not, it's not suicidal, but it is dangerous. In America, it's simply inconvenient uh, sometimes to be a Christian because some people will look down uh, upon you. But there is a cost, and we need to understand what that cost is and say, Lord, I'm going to embrace this cost. Uh, I'm going to pick up my cross and follow after you. Take a look at verse 16. Jesus said, "Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. What do sheep? Do, uh, what do wolves do? They eat sheep. Exactly, and uh, <laughs> they." Uh, Uh, are pretty dangerous creatures for sheep to be around. Well, this is the way it is in most countries when the gospel invades uh, those areas initially. It's very dangerous. There are towns in India uh, where I've ministered, and especially up in northern India, where uh, if a person converts from Hinduism to being a Christian, uh, he is liable to be beaten to death by uh, some Some crowd, a a group of thugs at some point. Uh, In Saudi Arabia, if you get caught, very likely to be executed. In Egypt, you may have death threats, have your car window uh, bashed in, maybe have your kids kidnapped and sold into slavery. And even in Egypt, there are places where uh, people have been put uh, put to death. In country after country, these words that Christ is saying to His disciples have incredible meaning. Now, if you keep your mouth shut, if you're not a witness, you might be able to avoid detection from the wolves for a period of time. But if you name the name of Christ, you may very well be torn to pieces by the wolves in Satan's kingdom. And yet, despite that fact, in fact, in some countries, despite that certainty, Jesus sent them into the midst of those wolves with the gospel. He says, I send you out as sheep in the midst of the wolves. So every one of these disciples was embracing a possible cost just like that Tamil woman did. Now just imagine that you lived as a Christian in North Korea or Saudi Arabia or Egypt, one of those countries where there was a lot of persecution of Christians going on and you hear these words from the mouth of Christ, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Are you willing to go or would you be ashamed to name the name of Christ among those who are your persecutors. Uh, Verse 38 says, he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Wow. Even in a country like North Korea or like Saudi Arabia, yes, even in a country like North Korea and Saudi Arabia, Christ expects this. He goes on, he says, he who finds his life will lose it, And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And so the cross really is not just a symbol of shame and of suffering. It is a symbol of death. When people come to Christ, they have died to their own life. They are committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ says, this symbol is with you the rest of your life. You need to be willing to die for me. You need to be willing to face shame for me. You need to be willing to suffer for me. Uh, and so this is not a theoretical question uh, since we're not living in a country where you know death is uh, really a high probability. No, he is saying this issue of being willing to suffer for Christ is what divides between the sheep and the goats, what divides between being a true believer and one who is a false believer. It's not theoretical. Every one of us is called to be soldiers in the army of Christ. And a soldier that is unwilling to face risk. And a soldier is unwilling to face the enemy is not really a soldier. And in the same way, if we're unwilling to suffer for Christ, by Christ's definition, we are not worthy of him. We are not a a, a disciple of Christ. And so he calls us to a life of self-denial. Now, here's the problem. It's so theoretical, so far off for us that we might think in our heads, yeah, I'd be willing to take a bullet for Christ. I'd be willing to lay down my life for Christ But let me just use an analogy to try to draw out how many times we fool ourselves on this very question. Uh, I've known of husbands who have said that they would take a, a bullet for their wife. They would lay down their life for their wife. But their marriage is messed up, and they're unwilling to go through the discomfort and perhaps a little bit of the embarrassment of getting counseling for their marriage And I'm thinking to myself, if you're not willing to sacrifice your pride for your wife to make this lesser sacrifice, are you really, really loving your wife so much you're going to lay down your life for your wife? Now, let's apply that analogy to this passage, and I want you to judge yourself. How do you measure up on this first point? Uh, I'm sure every one of us would say, if somebody were to ask you, would you be willing to lay down your life for Christ, you'd say yes. Yes. Uh, I I love Christ. I want to follow after Him. I would lay down my life for Christ. Well, ask yourself this: Are you willing to get up on time uh, to get to church for Christ? Are you willing to have daily devotions for Christ? Are you willing to set aside the Sabbath for Christ? People think that's so inconvenient, but are you willing to make the kind of sacrifices? Are you willing to fast for Christ? Are you willing to be a witness for Christ? Uh, the question is, if we're not willing to sacrifice our lives and our comforts, are we really prepared to make a far greater sacrifice and lay down our lives for Christ? You've got to take it out of the theoretical and put it into the practical. If we do not do the lesser, it is unlikely that we would do the greater. Listen to what God says in Jeremiah 12, verse 5. If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace they wearied you, then how will you do in the flooding of the Jordan? Let me just quickly read through this chapter. We're going to look at some of the other sacrifices and costs that Christ is asking his soldiers to make. Verse 17 says, But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. So he's saying, are you willing to go to court and face hostile charges from other people. Are you willing to suffer pain? Which scourging is a pretty painful thing. Look at verse 18. You'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. And so Christ is calling them to be willing to be interrogated by magistrates. I think we can be thankful (laughs) we're living in a country where we're not called uh, to those kinds of sacrifices for the most part. But there is always a cost that we need to embrace. Look at verse 21. Now, brother will deliver up brother to death and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Some people are willing to do anything to maintain family peace. And it's true, we're called to peace. Uh, Paul said... As much as depends upon you, if it is possible, live at peace with all men, but he does not want us compromising for the sake of peace. So he's saying, Are you willing to face persecution and perhaps even betrayal from your extended family? Point E, we don't like to be hated. Nobody likes to be hated. We want to be appreciated and loved, right? But that is precisely what he sends his uh, disciples into soldiers know that they're going to face the hatred of your enemy. And in verse 22, it says, You will be hated from, by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. So are you willing to endure the hatred of other people? Do you love Christ in order to be able to do that? Soldiers, that's just part of what they're about. They know that they're going to be hated by the people that they are fighting with. Look at verse 25. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the household Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Now that's slander, and slander hurts. Nobody likes to be slandered. And so when you stand up for Christ, you have the potential of being slandered. There's a cost to discipleship. Um, After the last... um, um, evangelism class on Tuesday, Um, Brian showed just an extremely funny uh, little video on eight reasons why I can't be a witness. And even though the reasons were exaggerated, you know, for the sake of humor, I just thought it was a, a splendid example of the kinds of costs we're going to face if we're going to be witnessing for the name of Christ. Now, not all of us are going to be facing those types of things, But there will be some cost. That's the point. And my question to you is, have you counted the cost of discipleship? Are you willing to face some cost in being a witness and being an evangelist? Uh, We're going to be saying uh, that we aren't unarmed sheep, just like the picture in your bulletins there where that sheep is coming with armaments. Uh, God's going to be sending His backup, and, uh, and, and yet we'd still have to face the enemy. Okay, second point that we need to be convinced of is that we will win this battle. That Tamil guerrilla had a false assurance of victory uh, that drove her on, but we have a promise that is not false at all. We have the promise of a God who cannot lie. Our leader has said that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, He has given us all of the power that we need to achieve the Great Commission. Verse 15 says, Assuredly, I say to you. In other words, this is guaranteed. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. When those disciples are cast out of the city, it may have looked like the city won. The disciples know better. They know this city is going to be nuked on judgment day, and they are going to escape. They will be delivered. They had a total confidence that Christ's armies are on the winning side. As I quoted earlier, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, people many times think of gates as your hold up inside of a fortress. No, these aren't your gates. They're the gates of hell. That means we are battering down the gates of hell and even those gates will not be able to stand up against the armies of Christ. It's an advancing army. It's not something that's hold up in, in some little fortress. And I tell you what? When you realize that winning armies are on the winning side, if you know you're part of a winning army, it's going to give you a winning attitude. It's going to change your perspective where by faith you start to go out rather than with dread going out and being a witness. But winning armies aren't just maniacal, (laughs) suicidal kinds of soldiers. It's quite the opposite. They try to minimize their losses. And so take a look at verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as servants and harmless as doves. So even though Christ is sending them out and, and warning them, look, you may face persecution, you may face uh, martyrdom. He doesn't want them to welcome persecution and to welcome martyrdom. This was a problem with some of the people in the early church Uh, Maybe their friends or relatives had been captured and had been martyred, and they know there's such a glorious reward for martyrs, they felt left out. And so some of these Christians literally would walk up to the Roman soldiers and say, I'm a Christian, take me. You know, and Christ is saying, no, that's not good. That is not a good idea at all. Can you imagine what a commander of an American army would think if some soldier wants to be our hero? So he walks up to the enemy and says, shoot me. That'd be ridiculous. He would not get a medal. No. In fact, that, uh, that commander would be pretty hacked off that that soldier is deliberately exposing himself. And in the same way, people who needlessly expose themselves to danger or who ask for persecution are not pleasing Christ. He's not going to pin a medal on them. He's going to say, what is wrong with you guys? Why are you always deliberately offending people in the way in which you witness? Uh, Peter, when he talks about giving an apologetic, he says we need to give it with meekness. We need to, he gives all kinds of character attitudes that make us come across looking like sheep rather than like wolves. If we act like wolves when we're witnessing to wolves, don't be surprised if they snarl and if they turn upon you. So anyway, serpents represents the enemy, and it says we need to be wise, uh, not only so that we're not taken in by what the, these... Um, the enemy does, but so that we can win them to our viewpoint. And then the doves, those represent the good guys. And what, he, what he's saying is, okay, you need to be wise like them, but don't act like them. You've got to act with integrity. You've got to be doves in terms of your character. And Peter says much the same thing. He says, you know, if you're, you're going to be blessed by God if you are persecuted for Christ's sake, but if you're just being persecuted because you're being jerks, you're not going to win any medals. Well, he didn't use the word medals or jerks in there, but I think you know what I mean. Here's how Romans 13 words it If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So what, what Paul is saying there is that the goal of our battles is to win, not to suffer. It's to overcome, not to be overcome. And in verses uh, 9 through 18 of Romans 12, he gives all kinds of various ways in which we can avoid suffering for the wrong reasons. Now back to... Luke. <clears throat> In verse 17, Jesus tells us, beware of men. Be on guard. So don't take a fatalistic attitude. Well, if I suffer, I suffer. If I get killed, I get killed. No, he wants us to watch out, to be on guard, to avoid being killed, to avoid uh, the persecution. He says we need to be bold enough to be willing to die, bold enough to be willing to suffer, but don't invite it. He says, beware watch out. He also warned them to try to avoid capture in verse 23. But when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. Okay, they're to minimize their losses. Now, the reason I'm picking this up, I've talked to people who believe, in fact, just two weeks ago, a guy uh, wrote on one of the, the blogs that I've been interacting with. He says, God has not called us to win. He's called us to martyrdom. And anyway, we got into a little bit of debate, but he said, yeah, the, the Christian calling is to suffering, to asceticism and, and, to, and to martyrdom. Well, that'd make no sense at all for Christ to tell him to flee then. If we're called to martyrdom and to suffering, bring it on. Go out to the enemy. Please let me suffer. Please kill me. That's not what he says. He calls us Uh, to flee and so there there is a calling he says you need to be you're called to win even if it means suffering so there is a sense in which we're called to suffering but it's not the primary call our primary call is to be soldiers for christ to take the, the the great commission to the ends of the earth and so point c says that winning armies seek to win that makes sense to me winning armies seek to win That's what the tall male woman was all about. She wasn't just trying to hold her own. Everything in those soldiers was to win independence from the Sri Lankan uh, government. Uh, Verse 18 gives uh, uh, one of those examples, and I'll just try to spell this out a bit, uh, how this was communicated by Christ. What was the purpose if Christ allowed them to be captured? He says, you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. He's saying that if you get captured, it's not by accident. He's saying, I have put you there so that you can be a witness even within those circles that you otherwise maybe wouldn't have had contact with. And you can see this with Paul. He's captured by Rome. He's in prison for years, for a long time. uh, First in Jerusalem, then Caesarea, and then off in Rome. And yet he does not look at his capture as if he's the one that's uh, uh, in jeopardy. Uh, He's chained, probably arm to arm, with the centurion guards, and yet he sees them as being the ones who are at the disadvantage. They are the ones who are the captive audience to his constant preaching. (laughs) He would not give up. They get converted, and uh, they bring the gospel to Caesar's household. Here's what Paul said. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. He would never have had access to Caesar's household if he had not been captured. And so his perspective was, they, the captors, are the ones that I'm going to be converting uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Your perspective changes when you begin to look at life that way. Uh, Verse 19 tells them not to worry, and I'm not going to talk about that today. That's my next uh, uh, sermon. Uh, How do we put off our anxieties? How do we put off our fears? Uh, I remember the first time that um, uh, I witnessed... Uh, And the Lord kept prompting me and prompting me. And I just, oh, I couldn't do it. Finally, uh, after the Lord began bringing disciplines into my life, uh, he, um, I I think I shared this with you before, he prompted me to witness. And I said, no, I cannot do it. And half of my body went limp. Even my, 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 uh, my cheeks, everything was sagging down. I said, okay, Lord, I'll do it, I'll do it. And immediately it reversed, and I made a bumbling, horrible attempt at witnessing because so t- I was so terrified. I was very shy of talking to people. But uh, over time, God helped me to deal with my fears, and that's one of the things I want to share with you next time. But in verses 19 through 20, he tells them that God's Spirit is with them and can confound his enemies right within their camp. Uh, the reason for their boldness is greater is he who is in us Than he who is in the world it may look like we sheep are helpless far from it Uh, he says it will be given you in that hour what you should speak for it is not you who speak but the spirit of your father who speaks uh, uh, in you verse 22 promises but he who endures to the end will be saved what's the end the telos the purpose the goal it's not to get killed the end is victory right deliverance Uh, In in a physical battle, if people know it's guaranteed that they're going to lose, it's very hard for them to endure. But if they know that deliverance is right around the corner, uh, they can be motivated to incredible endurance. Uh, The promised reinforcements also helps them. Verse 23, "...but when they persecute you in this city, flee to another, for assuredly I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes." Before those apostles had even made their rounds through uh, the the, the cities in Israel, Christ came in judgment uh, upon uh, Israel in that uh, seven-year tribulation from 66 to 73 uh, A.D. And by the way, he did send uh, his heavenly forces against uh, Jerusalem. Tacitus, the Roman historian, says, now I wouldn't even ordinarily include this But everybody was witness to this, and he said, we saw chariots and soldiers all through the skies. Josephus says exactly the same thing. He was um, the Jewish historian of that war, and the Jewish Talmud records that. So God sent his spiritual reinforcements against Israel, but it wasn't just spiritual ones. He was using Rome himself, the Gospels say. He was going to take Rome and use them to chastise Israel. Uh, the the, the nation of Israel. Basically what he was doing is he's using these reinforcements to knock the wolves off the back of the sheep. Knock the wolves off of the, the back of the church. Just another example how we are on the winning side. Verse 26 says that truth will ultimately triumph in the world. Therefore do not fear them for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be made known. The conspiracies of falsehood will eventually be exposed and overturned. Now, are there conspiracies uh, to uh, bring our nation into a one-world government in Washington, D.C.? I think uh, most of you would probably agree that there are, and yet God can uh, expose those conspiracies. We need not fear. From the time of Jesus' resurrection to the present, there has been a nonstop attempt of Satan through leaders of various nations to bring about a one-world government. And they've been stymied at every turn. Why? Because Christ knows how to expose their conspiracies. Uh, Time after time, they have been frustrated. And if you read the history of conspiracies from a providential perspective, and one book you could read is Gary North's... I forget the title of it, but it's... um, his book on conspiracies, when you read it from a providential perspective, you begin to realize this is a futile attempt for these guys to take over the world because time after time, just in the nick of time, God exposes some of the secrets that they have. And uh, he can do the same uh, with uh, the people in Washington, D.C. who are trying to uh, overthrow our republic. He can have them hang on... Their own gallows, just like Haman hung on the gallows that he set up for Mordecai in the book of Esther. May it be so. Uh, I think of the Tom Mill gorilla who said, please help our cause. When we are in power, we will remember you. She was convinced that she was in a cause that was worth dying for and that she was in a winning cause. Well, I tell you, in a far, far greater way, we are living for a cause that is worth dying for. And we are in a cause that will indeed win. Uh, There are many, many scriptures that indicate this. Psalm 72, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 42, the Great Commission, all kinds of passages indicate that every nation is eventually going to become a Christian nation. And at the end of history, Christ is going to be, you know, saying, you know, Gil and Donald and uh, Toby and Josh, uh, you guys are a part of the advancing of his kingdom. Larry and Julie, you have been used by God to extend his kingdom, to bring about the victory that he has promised. Now, there are two more points we're going to be looking at, Lord willing, in the next two uh, sermons. We've got to learn how to tame our fears, and we've got to learn how to experience the perks that make our witnessing and make our suffering all seem worthwhile. When you see the blessings, it far outweighs the costs of being, uh, being a witness. It just makes it totally, totally worthwhile. Now for today, I just want to encourage you to remember you've got a far, far greater cause to fight for than that Tamil woman did. Far greater. You, you've got a greater cause, a greater king, a greater, greater methods, greater resources, greater outcomes, greater power, because you're indwelt by the very Holy Spirit who it, 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 it's going to take to convict the world of righteousness, uh, of sin of righteousness and of judgment. Now, many of you are getting trained uh, by uh, Brian and Donald in what I like to call kamikaze evangelism, where you just collar cuff people and start talking to them about the, about the gospel. But that really amounts to 5 to 10% Of the total success that you're going to be having keep in mind that most of your success is going to be with your oikos but you can use that evangelistic methodology even with your oikos your household your your uh, narrower sphere of influence of business associates and friends but what I want to leave you with today is be willing to go out there amongst the wolves and talk to the five to ten percent God's gonna open up opportunities sometimes in the past you maybe have taken those opportunities up you've talked to a stranger other times, you, because of fear, just let them pass. But uh, commit yourselves to embrace the cost of witnessing to wolves. And may God give a harvest. May every one of you have the privilege sometime in your lifetime of leading at least one person to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank and bless you that even in the difficult side of evangelism where we have to go outside of our comfort zone we have to be soldiers of the cross we have to uh, overcome our fears and begin to talk to those who are strangers that you would give us a holy boldness such as you have given to saints down through history you've given boldness to young children and maidens and and to uh, older uh, men and those who are feeble father give us boldness and a great joy in witnessing for you. Uh, even when we suffer, may we be like the disciples in the book of Acts who rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for your name. Father, what a great thing it would be to be able to be martyrs uh, for uh, your name. And we realize that you love to honor those who have suffered greatly for you. We pray for those in other countries right now uh, who, if they even open their mouth about you, uh, will suffer repercussions. We pray that you would bless them with your protection, that you would encamp round about them with your angels, that you would enable their witness to draw more and more people to you. We know that Satan is a roaring lion; he is a wolf uh, who is uh, seeking to devour the church because the church is having so much inroads it's it 's annoying him and and angering him. but I pray, Father, that you would protect your people from these onslaughts, and even if they must suffer, and even if they must be martyred, that uh, the blood of the martyrs would be uh, the seed of the church, that the church would grow nonstop around the world until there comes this day when the knowledge of you would be so full in the earth that it is like the waters covering the ocean beds. Father, bless this your people. Encourage their hearts. And I pray that you would give them success as they engage in what we looked at last time in Oikos evangelism, but also when you sovereignly give them divine appointments with those that they do not know, that they would not uh, be ashamed of you, but that they would be willing to name your name, to bring your scriptures to bear, to do so graciously and to do so wisely, that they would be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. The Father, help us as a congregation to be a witnessing uh, co- uh, congregation that grows and grows as uh, you bless the feebleness of our efforts. We thank and bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.